don't know this morning is you, you came in the doors. I don't know the kind of week you had. I don't know the kind of morning you're having, where you're at in your spiritual journey. But it's good to come, clear it all out, isn't it? And just give God our full attention. Just for a few moments to get our attention on him and to say, God, this is for you, I'm for you, and, and, and just to allow him to minister to you. And that was just great to be able to do that. So if you would, please grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Malachi chapter 2. And if you're wondering what in the world Malachi is or where it's at in the Bible, uh, use your table of contents for that. It is in the Old Testament. In fact, the last book of the Old Testament. So if you hit the New Testament books, make a left-hand turn and go back and you will find Malachi. Uh, as you're turning there, let me just give you some, some background here. Remember, if, if, if you're just joining us for the first time or you've been following along, Malachi is, we're comparing it to a family meeting. Remember those growing up where mom or dad would call the family meeting, you'd get, you know, everybody come together and it's like, all right, this isn't going to go well. Uh, okay, so mom and dad got something to talk There's some hard things we need to, to share and work out. That's kind of what God's doing. He's, he's pulling Israel together. He's got a message for them and there's some things that they've got to get straightened out. That's what's going on here. The second thing going on, though, is that there is a message that God needs to communicate because, again, this is the last book of the Old Testament. In fact, look at this slide here. Just as a way of reminder, Malachi was written around 425 to 400 B.C. And so when, when that book was written, these are the last words that God's going to speak. And after these words, God goes silent. He will not speak again for 400 years. Nothing. And so he, these are the last words that he has for Israel, his people, before he goes dark. And, and what, when he speaks again, it's going to be when that first Christmas comes, when Jesus from Bethlehem, crying out as a little child, be the first time, the first accounts of God again restarting his program in human history in terms of reaching people. And so this is an important message that God has for Israel because these are his last words to prepare them for the first Christmas. In a sense, what he's, he's saying is, be ready, be prepared. A Messiah is coming. He wants to get their attention and to prepare them for Christmas. And so we're going through this because we want to prepare our hearts as well for Christmas as we roll into December here in a few weeks. So with that shared, let me just give you some background now on chapter 1. So if you remember, chapter 1 uh, begins in verse 2, and hopefully you're there now and you can follow along. God says these words to Israel. He says, I have always loved you. And so remember, family meeting, everybody's together. He's got some hard words to share, but the first words he says is, I love you. He, he's, what he's doing here is he's connecting with, his, his, with Israel before he's going to correct Israel. And this is an important thing because it's, it's like, it's like when, when God is saying here, look, we've got some hard things to talk about, but as we talk about them, remember, I'm coming from a place of love. And we need to hear this this morning ourselves. That God loves us as we are, but he certainly doesn't leave us where we are, does he? He wants to work in our hearts. That there are times because he loves us, God will discipline us. There are times when he'll, he'll work in our heart and life, but he always comes from a place of love. And this is where he begins Malachi. He says, I have loved you. And then as we rolled into what we talked about last week, then as chapter 1 continues to unfold, God begins to correct them. And his first correction to them is to say, you are not honoring me. You are not honoring me. What was going on at this time is the people were bringing their junky animals, their lame and sick animals, to the, the temple for sacrifice. Animals that they wouldn't care about. They were going to throw them away anyway, so just give God your junk. They would bring all that to sacrifice to God. And the priests were guilty because they were going right along with it. Maybe fear of the people. They were sacrificing all that, those junky animals right to God. And God says, you know what? What you're doing is not right. Try bringing that to your governor. He says, you're not bringing me your best. 
You're not honoring me, and I am not pleased with you. God has some hard words for the people, for the priests and the people of Israel. Which brings us to where we're going to begin today, which is chapter 2, starting in verse 1. God has some hard words that he wants to share with the priests, specifically the priests of Israel. Now, just to give a little background, a priest during this time, and well, and even today for some degree, but the priests during this time, they had a big job. Their job was to stand between the people and God. In other words, their job was to run the sacrificial system. Their job was to lead ministries. And their job was to be that mediator between the people of Israel and God. And so the people wouldn't come to God. They, wouldn't, they didn't do that. They would go to their priests, and then their priest on behalf of them would then go to God. But the problem is they weren't doing their job. And so, and so, and so the people were being hurt because they weren't doing their job, and God is mad about that. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, hey, I'm not a priest, so I'm good. This is not for me or about me. I'll just kind of enjoy the ride this morning, but this is for them because God's mad at them, but not at me. Not exactly. Because when we get to the New Testament then, a new covenant, when Jesus comes, Jesus says, and what Jesus accomplished is that you now become your own priest. And so it looks like this. Every person who's a follower of Christ is a priest unto themselves, meaning you don't need to go to another person on your behalf for that person then to go to God. You have your own access because Jesus is your high priest and he made a way for you to have that access directly to God. And so you can, you can worship God directly on your own, as we did this morning. You can pray directly to God. You can have your own personal relationship with God. You don't have to come to a pastor. You don't have to come to a priest. It's you directly accessing God. How amazing is that, that Jesus made a way that we could enjoy that? And so you are a priest unto yourselves. This is for us. As we're going to see, even though these words are hard-hitting, they're for the priests thousands of years ago. They're stuff for us that we can get out of it this morning. So all that said, Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 1, let's go ahead and read together as we get started. Here's how it begins. God is speaking. He says this, And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, here's some keywords in red. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Let's pause here real quick. Strong words he's going at the priest here. And, and the big idea, as you see there highlighted in red, is that the priest, what he's calling them, he's challenging them. He says, you priest, you're not listening to me. And so by extension, as a result, you're not honoring me. I need you to listen, priest. My spiritual leaders, you need to listen to what I say because when you listen, then you can live it out. That's the key. Now, if you have your bulletin, I hope you do. On the back side, there's some fill in the blanks. Here's your first principle this morning that I want to highlight with this idea. It's this, that a good leader is first a good follower. A good leader is first a good follower, specifically of Jesus. See, what this means is before you can lead people spiritually, you must follow Jesus deeply. Did you catch that? I'm going to say that one more time. I think it's important. Before you can lead people spiritually, you and I, we need to follow Jesus deeply. Well, why? Why is that the case? Here's why. Because your ministry for Jesus will never exceed your devotion to Jesus. Did you catch that? And this is so important because if, if your heart's desire is, God, I want you to use my life. 
I just don't want to live one of those nine to five lives and years pass by and I'm just kind of living for myself, doing my thing and nothing happens and God, you never use me. I never see you show up in any powerful way. If your heart's desire in any form is to say, God, use me, then this is a place you have to start. A good leader is first a good follower. You have to begin first with your own devotion to Christ, your own relationship with him because your ministry will never exceed your devotion. It never will. And so this is essentially what he's saying here to, to, to the priest. He's saying, I'm calling you to follow me. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, how do I do that? Like, what does that look like? And I wanted to share just a simple way to think about it. And it goes like this, that as God speaks, that you and I, we listen, and then we take what we hear and we absorb it into our heart, and then we choose to live it out in our lives. That we essentially, we're talking about ears, heart, and hands. God speaks, I hear, I absorb it, and then I live it out. Ears, heart, hands. Make sure we're all now sleeping here. Let's just go ahead and say it together, okay? Here we ready? Ears, heart, hands. Repeat. Ears, heart, hands. Repeat. And this cycle is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He speaks, I listen, I absorb it, and then I live it out. Repeat. God, you're speaking. I listen, I absorb it, my heart, and I live it out with my hands. That's what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. This is what you and I need to do. This is what a quiet time looks like. You know we encourage everybody in terms of their own personal devotion to Christ. I hope that the only time you're in the Word is not here on a Sunday morning. I mean, this is good. I'm glad you're here. But if this is all the food, spiritual food you're eating during the week, you're going to get hungry. And so, and, so, and so your own time with God that you would, you would open up his word and that you would hear what he has to say to you as you read it, that you would absorb it and then you would live it out. That's what it looks like. But in order to pull that off, you and I have to have the conviction that God speaks, that God wants to communicate to you, that God has something he wants to tell you. You gotta have that conviction that God has something for you. Now, just like you and I, we have... Um, we have lots of different ways that we communicate, right? We, we, we text, we post, we Snapchat. Uh, some of us, you know, maybe remember those things with paper and pen, you write letters and they have those things called stamps and you could put those on. And I mean, there's different ways, right, that we communicate to other people. God also has different ways that he communicates. But the primary way that he communicates, the primary way, and here's your next fill in the blank, it's this. The Lord speaks through the Bible through the Bible, that you and I, that we need to be in his word, that, we, that this is how he speaks, that, that, that his, these are his words. And his words, and there's some fancy words that I'll just share with you. We, we say that these words are inerrant, meaning they're without error because they're God's words. They're inspired, they're God-breathed, they're God-spoken. There's no other book like this. This is our highest authority, that as a church, our church comes under the authority of Scripture, that everything we do is judged and evaluated based on Scripture. We don't adjust Scripture to our presuppositions. We adjust to Scripture. And I hope that conviction is the same for you in your own life. We are not judge and jury over the Bible. We come underneath it because these are his words for us. This is our, our conviction. This is how he speaks to us. So, so why do I say all that? Because here's why. Because if you want to hear a word from God, then you and I, we need to open the word of God, don't we? You have to. We, we, we've got to hear from him. We've got to spend time here because this is the primary way that he wants to speak, that we would, again, we would hear his word, we would absorb it to our heart, and we would live it out with our hands. 
that's what it looks like. That's what he's calling us to do. But here's the problem. And it's my problem. And I think for many of us, if not all of us, it's your problem as well. The problem is we're so distracted, aren't we? The problem is we have so many things going on in our lives, it can be really hard for us to give God our full attention, can it? That he wants to communicate to us, but we're not listening. In fact, in your bulletin, I want you to notice, and you'll be on the screen behind as well, I've just, I picked out five different areas, five different ways I think that you and I, and possibly that we, we just don't listen because of these types of things. And so I want to give a test, because tests are super fun, right? So here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to go through this list of five things, and I want you to circle the one that you think most applies to you, the, the one for you that is keeping you from giving God your full attention, from listening to him. So, so for example, number one, you're a doer. And that's some of you. This, this could be me quite a bit. This, this idea that you have a list, you have a plan, you have a busy day, you have stuff to do. God, I'll get back to you because it's a full one today. And that turns into the next day and the next day. And because you and I have so much going on in our lives, we never give God any time. He can't communicate to us. We're not listening because we are busy. We have too much going on. We don't have time to listen. Maybe that's you this morning. Or how about next to your cell phone? This is about distraction, isn't it? This is about, well, it's been six seconds since it beeps. I got to check my status again, you know, that kind of a thing. And we become addicted to the phone of going to the phone. And because we're continually on something like that device that we, we, can't, we can't set that aside for a moment so that we can just slowly come before God and say, God, you speak to me. I've, I've joked around or he's thought this that, that some days at least the cell phone the Greek word for cell phone in, in, in the Greek is, is the word demon right because this is the thing that just keeps us from devotion to God so often our cell phone so maybe that's you, you could circle that or how about number three ignoring this is the idea that you know what God's going to say but you don't want to hear it so I'm just not going to listen I'm just not going to go there that there's some things in life that you know they're not according to what God would have for you. And because it's just easier to avoid God and dealing with it, you just ignore it all and you walk away and you go about your life. Some of us is ignoring. Or how about rationalizing? Rationalizing is this idea that we don't listen to God because we think that we're the exception. We think that what we read and hear is, doesn't apply to me. It applies to other people. Love your neighbor, you know, kindness, giving, whatever the case may be. Well, that's for other people, but I'm okay. Or we read verses like, you know, husbands, love your wives. Have you met my wife? I I don't know if I can do that. Wives, you know, respect your husbands. Have you met him yet? There's no way. And we rationalize our way through this, and we're not listening to what God has for us because we're spinning it around, and we're justifying, God, I'm the exception. My situation's different. If you only knew what I was going through, you would know that I'm different. It's a way we don't listen. How about number five? Interrogating. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the idea where we question God back. Well, they're not questions. They're accusations, aren't they? God, how could you? God, why did you? God, where were you? And we put God on trial for the stuff that we feel like he's doing that isn't coming through matching our expectations. But it keeps us from listening. It keeps us from receiving. It closes off our ears, and so there's no way that he can get our attention and speak into our lives. This is what happens. This is, here's the truth. This list is all of us. We all have room to grow in this area. 
So I want to ask this morning, which one is it for you? Which of the five, and maybe you circle two or three or four, I don't know for you, but, but which one is it for you? And if I could just encourage you, if you can identify that thing that's keeping you from giving God your full attention, address that. Even bring that before God and say, God, this, this thing or this situation or this attitude I have or this cell phone or my schedule or whatever the case may be, God, would you help me with this? Because I want to give you my attention. And so, so here we again, we have, we have God seeking to the priest. He's saying, you don't listen to me because you're not listening. You don't honor me. Now let's keep going. Verse three, as God continues his warning to the priest, verse three he says this, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Wow. God is mad, isn't he? I was joking last service. They didn't make a veggie tales about that you know, Bible verse, did they? I mean, this is way worse than egg on your face. This is, this, is, this is the heart of God's righteous anger. What's going on here? Well, the people are bringing their junky animals again. They're sick and they're lame animals. And this, the, 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 the priests were sacrificing them. And what they were supposed to do was when they would kill the animal, they would clean the animal. And they would offer the best parts of the animal to God. And they would take the innards and the, and, and the feces and all the, the, the junk, if you will. They would take that and they would take it out of the camp or out of the city and they would burn it. It wasn't, it wasn't worshipful. It wasn't something to be sacrificed to God. That was what they were supposed to do. But these priests, they were just sacrificing all of it. They were just all before God and God in a sense he's coming before them he says look you keep coming before me and you keep sacrificing your sick and your junk animals to me and you're not even doing it appropriate because you're sacrificing all the stuff inside your worship to me it is gross it is fake and it is dishonoring he's mad in a sense, he's saying, I got an idea, priest. How about we take all the nasty and we'll cover it all over you. And instead of taking the buckets of stuff out, we'll just cart you out of the city. How about that? That's anger. Why is he so angry at the priests? Because they're not doing their job and it's hurting the people. He loves his people. See, this is the part of the family meeting where everything goes quiet. Remember those parts? Mom or dad lays it out, and you realize, uh-oh, game's up. Busted. And this is that moment right here where God is just calling these priests to account. But I want us to notice now, as we continue with this passage, starting in verse 4, the tone will change. God will begin to soften, and God will begin to now instruct his priests again. And this is for us, too. He'll begin to explain how the priesthood is supposed to work. He'll begin to explain this, you know, priest, when I envisioned the priesthood, this is what I had in mind. This was the job you're supposed to be doing. So let's look together as God begins to do this with a very different tone. Verse 4, he says, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. And this called for reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. And nothing false was found on his lips. And he walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. 
There's a lot in these verses here, but, but he's explained this is how the priesthood is supposed to work. You priests, you're supposed to revere the Lord and be in awe of him. This is for us too. Revere the Lord and be in awe of him. You priests, you're supposed to teach people God's truth. You're supposed to live it out. You don't just teach it. You're supposed to live it and model it too, that integrity before the people. And finally, you're supposed to encourage people away from sin. You priests, call the people to account, encourage them, admonish them, anything to get them away from sin. Why? Because sin always destroys. It always hurts. And so he calls them to do that. And, and, and wrapping up, let's just keep rolling, verse 7 to verse 9, and then we'll, we'll end with that verse. He continues on. He says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. And we get to verse 9. Here's God's verdict on his priests. He says, So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So what's he saying here? We already shared one principle. We said this, a good follower, excuse me, a good leader is first a good follower of Jesus. That your ministry for Jesus will never exceed your devotion to Jesus. So upon that foundation, here's your next fill in the blank and your second principle as we begin to wrap up this morning. It's this, that a good leader helps others become good followers. A good leader helps others become good followers. Here's what I mean by this. I want to show you this diagram. It's this picture here. And really, this is what disciple making is. And we're called to, therefore, in Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples. This is not optional. It's a command for you and I. That at the top, you'll see there that our job is to follow Jesus. Ears, heart, hands, repeat. Ears, heart, hands, repeat. We live this out in our lives. As we're following Jesus in our own lives, what happens? Well, next, go to the right. You'll see that God changes me. God changes you that you become a new person, that begins to work in your life in, in both your priorities, your attitudes, your words, your thoughts, your pursuits, all of it. He begins to transform who you are. And, and this is exciting. And as he does this, then go to the bottom. What happens is now you're the prime candidate, perfect person, and why wouldn't he call you to this? Now he can use your life to help others do what? Follow Jesus to help others begin to ears, heart, hands, repeat. That you would begin to would say, how do I do that? Well, you begin just, what's God doing in your life? You begin to talk about and show, share and speak what Jesus is teaching you, what you're learning from him. That you become, as Malachi, we just read about it, you become a messenger of the Lord Almighty, that you display it with your life and with your words you speak. This is what God's teaching me. Here's my story. I was this and I can't explain grace or how it happened, but he just showed up in my life. He radically changed my life, and now I'm like this. That's the story. That's what it looks like as you help others follow Jesus. You give other people the chance to hear, absorb, and choose to live it out in their own lives. That's what it looks like, church. This is what we're called to do. What happens when that happens? We'll go to the left then. God changes them. And then for you, the cycle repeats as you continue to do ministry. And for the, those people that you're investing in, the cycle, the journey begins. And they can then invest into other people. This is disciple making. This is what God is calling you and I to do. This is what it looks like. 
And I don't know, when you see this, if you look at it and you say, Jan, what's the score of the football game? Or I don't know kind of how you respond to this, but I hope it's an exciting thing for you because this is what it means, that God can use your life to make an eternal impact on the life of somebody else. I don't care your age. I don't care your demographics. I don't care your socioeconomic status. I don't care anything in circumstantially. He can use your life. Do you believe it? But it begins with you, just you and God, ears, heart, hands, repeat. Ears, heart, walking with him walking with him. That's where it begins. That's what it looks like. So I want to close with some questions. They're in your bulletin. Hopefully you have one on the back side. These are some reflective questions. They're just for you. They're on the screen behind as well, so you can see them there. But here's my first question for you this morning. Who are you listening to? What I mean is, who has your attention? What has your attention? Is it God? Is it a person? Is it a TV show? Is it a band? Is it a philosophy? Is it an author? Who are you listening to? Here's what I want you to do. In the bulletin, there's, just, there's not much room, but there's a little room there. I want you to write down your top three influences. Who are your influences? Who influences you? Who has your attention? If it's God, great, put him down. But if it's something else, put that down too. Because you know and so do I, it is so easy, so easy to forget about all this. And all of a sudden, we start paying attention to all these other voices coming at us, isn't it? So who influences you? Who are you listening to? Top three influences. Next question. What are you believing? What are you believing? And the reason this question is so important, this has to do with your heart. The first question I do with your ears. This has to do with your heart. This is why it's so important, because you will believe who you're listening to. Whatever has your attention will shape your worldview every time. It is not innocent in terms of the music you listen to, the shows you watch, the websites you visit. You think, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is it's shaping you. It is forming you. It's forming how you think, how you feel, all of that. It's all there. And so what are you believing? What are you believing? And so you'll see on your bulletin, there's a spectrum. There's truth on one side, and truth really represents Scripture. On the whole other side represents just lies, and you can fill in what that means, anything opposite of what Scripture teaches. But I want you to evaluate yourself. What has your attention, and what are you believing? What most reflects your worldview? Not what, not what do we expect you to believe or what you think the right thing is to believe. What do you actually believe? Is it close to truth or not? You can park an X anywhere on that spectrum to identify where you're at. That's your heart. And then finally, we get to hands. How are you living? How are you living? Because your hands are the evidence of your heart. Your hands will always follow your heart. Your hands will always do what you believe. The, the true evidence of belief is not what you say you believe, it's how you live. So let me ask a different question. The question I want to ask is, does your lifestyle match what you say you believe? I'm a Christian. Great. Does your lifestyle match it? That's the question. Where are you at in that process? How is that working for you? And you see some answers there. I want you to take a moment and circle one of them. For you, it could be yes. It could be no. It could be sometimes. Or it could be, please don't ask. Please don't ask. Ears, heart, hands. 
What are you, what are you giving your attention to? I, I want to close with a story. Um, this, this happened several years ago, um, by 20 years ago or so. I was a uh, camp counselor in Colorado at a navigator's camp. And we would, one of the things we would do, and i got a picture of it here, is that we would take kids out into the Colorado wilderness on, on trust walks. And so we'd blindfold them. We had about 20 kids or so and a handful of counselors. And we would head out into the wilderness there and, and, and do this exercise with them. Now, as we would do it, the way we played the game was that we would have what we called a God character. One of the counselors, and we're just going to call him Mark for right now, Mark would, would go to the front of the line, and he was the God character. So, so he was there in the front, and all the kids would line up just like this picture, all behind. And, and, and then Mark would begin to lead the crowd, lead the crowd of, of teenagers out into the wilderness along the trails. And as Mark was going, he would, he would speak to the, the campers. This was his job as the God character. And he would say, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Hey, just be careful. There's a, there's a kind of a root sticking up. You might trip. Just be careful. Let's move to you a little bit to your left. And he would just coach, coach the, the campers as they would go along. You, you know, again, you're doing a great job. We're going to pause here. We're going to turn right here. And he would speak to them. But what would happen every time with these lineup of kids, and you can imagine even with that picture, the kids that were near the front were near Mark. They could hear Mark just fine, and they were tracking with him. But the kids, they were all the way in the back. They couldn't hear Mark very well. Some in the very back couldn't hear Mark at all. And so for them, they didn't know all the instructions. They just knew things were starting and stopping and turning, and they didn't really know what was going on. The rest of the counselors, we would be there observing, but we had a different job. Our job was to play the demon character. Our job was to find a way. We couldn't physically put hands on them and force them to do it, but to try to find a way to tempt them to detach from the line and go with us. Their only instructions were this. Pay attention to Mark's voice. Do whatever Mark says, and you'll be just fine on the trust walk. But here we would show up, and we would try to tempt them to get them to detach from the line, put their arms on say, my shoulders, and I would walk them off and take them in a different direction. Now, where do you think we would go? Obviously, we went to the back of the line, didn't we? Because they weren't listening and they couldn't hear what God was saying. They were easy to, they were easy to tempt. They were easy to get to go off the line and follow us. And so we'd go to the back and we'd say, Mark's terrible, isn't he? You can't even hear what he's saying. He's so slow. He's, you know, he's, you know I, don't, I wouldn't even trust him. Tell you what, you can trust me to get us back to camp. I, I can do it for you. And every time, I don't know if we were good or what, but they would be like, okay. And they would detach. They'd put it on our shoulders. And off they would go. And it wasn't just that kid that I was tempting. It was the whole line of people behind them. There's a little bit of principle there. Our, we don't sin unto ourselves. We, I mean, every, we have impact on the people in our lives. And so we would take these kids off, and other counselors would take these kids off, and, and typically I would just walk them off, and I was kind of rude to them and mean to them, and we'd get out in the middle of the forest, and I would just, like, detach from them and just leave them. They're just standing there. And we would just watch them just standing there. Eventually, they could, if they wanted to, they could call out Mark's name, and Mark would come running and rescue them. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. But there was one time I took a bunch of kids off the line. I tempted them. I led them off. And I led them into this area where there was this nice Christmassy pine tree. And I began to just walk in circles around the pine tree. And then I thought, I wonder if I could pull this off. And I could. I detached the person from my shoulders and put them on the kid's shoulders that was at the end of the line. I'm at the front. They're at the end. And all of a sudden, just kids now are in a circle. And I step away. And they're just going in circles for like 15 minutes. 
I'm like, I'm good. This is, this is amazing here. And part of me, I'm laughing kind of at them, you know, but the other part of me, God began to speak to my life. And here, here's what he impressed upon me in that moment. He said, Ryan, a lot of your life has been that. You're just walking in a circle. You're not going anywhere. And it was interesting to watch these kids because as they were going, they started to pick up on like, this is stupid. I can't believe they did this. This game is terrible. Mark's terrible. Mark's a terrible counselor. How could he leave us out here? The God character, right? And they began to criticize God. They began to criticize the game. And then they began to criticize, I mean, just all, they're just mad as they're walking in circles. They can't do anything else. They're just in circle. There they go. And I began to, and I would talk to the campers about this too, but just, just asking this question, how did they get in that position in the first place? And the answer is, they stopped listening to God. They stopped listening to God. And when they did that, they were open to all kinds of influences to come into their life, to tempt them, to lead them astray, and ultimately to find themselves in a place in life where they never would have chosen it, and it was a ridiculous place to be, but there they were. Does that reflect your life at all? Maybe times in your past where because you were busy or that stupid cell phone or the attitude you bring before God, or whatever the case may be, it kept you from listening. Kept you from, from, from hearing from him. This God that wants to communicate to you and to me couldn't do it because we wouldn't give him our attention. Who are you listening to? What are you believing? And as a result, where are your hands going? Ears, heart, hands. I want to invite the band, if you would. Come on up, please. Can I give you a challenge this week? Would, would you do this? This is called a double dog dare. I don't care. Would you carve out a moment? And would you put the phone away or turn it off? The TV, whatever it is that distracts you. And would you grab your Bible? A cup of coffee, tea? And would you spend a few minutes with God? And maybe for some of you, it's just been a long time. Just give them your full attention. And even for you, if it's like, I haven't done this in so long, I'm not even sure how to do it or any of that kind of thing, just even five minutes will feel like a long, that's okay. Just start somewhere, read a Psalm, a couple of Proverbs, go to John, pick a book of the Bible, read Malachi. Ears, heart, hands. Read his words, hear it. Absorb it. God, I agree with you. God, thank you for speaking to me. And I am not judge and jury over your word. I want to align my life to your word. So I'm going to come under your scripture and God, I'm going to respond back to you appropriately with my hands. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Did you do that this week? Here's what I promise. As you begin to do this day in and day out, maybe it's just a new habit for you. God is going to change your life. And as he changes your life, he's also going to give you opportunities to change the life of other people. Okay, I don't care how old you are. I don't care your station in life. This is just the God that we serve. This is who he is. So would you listen to him so that you can honor him this week? Let's pray together. Father God, we, we just thank you for this reminder this morning that as you called out these priests thousands of years ago to, to listen so that you could honor your name 
the challenge is still there for us as well. Lord, help us, each of us, and as a church collectively, that we would be your people that live out the ears, heart, hands, repeat. That we would be families that live this out, ears, heart, hands, repeat. That we would strive to the best of our ability. We're not perfect, that's not the point. That we would hear from you, absorb what you say, and strive to live it out. This is what you've called us to. This is what you've commanded. And this is what we're going to do. And Father, as we sang earlier, you use people like us. You just use people that are just regular people to do remarkable things. And this is where that journey begins. Because we know that to do anything great for you, we first have to be deep with you. Help us to do that as your people. And now we're going to worship you because we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen.